Today's reading from God's Word is from 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 8 to 37. Listen now to God's Word. Listen now for God's Word to you. One day, Elijah went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servants. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elijah, Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? 
Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And she picked up her son and went out. This is the word of God. The Lord be with you. Lord, pray with me. Lord, thank you for this day that you have made. And now, Lord, in the hearing of your word, we ask you once more speak to us. Teach us more of you so that we might be filled with you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is now the seventh sermon in a series of sermons uh, in preaching on the prophet Elisha. Last Sunday, Elisha was held accountable by an impoverished widow who, through her faith and faithful actions, was able to get out of her crushing debts and rescue her children with the help of the community. Today, we have a contrasting and parallel story of another nameless woman and mother of faith. Like the widow, she too holds Elisha accountable and takes decisive action to save the life of her child. But unlike last week's widow, this is a woman who is financially secure. The ESC calls her, as you just heard, a wealthy woman, but the word is a common adjective, great. She is a great woman. So I would describe her as a woman of substance, meaning wealth, but also of character, as we shall see. She models and demonstrates the many qualities of faith that I think we can all aspire to. And so this morning, let me just highlight three of her greatnesses. First, we see here that she practices great hospitality. When the Shunammite woman saw Elijah passing through her town, she urged him to eat. She was insistent. She was one of those people who will not take no for an answer. She's like Lydia, the seller of purple, who also insisted upon Paul and Silas to eat at her place. And Elisha knew it was pointless to refuse her invitation, 
And so whenever he was in town, he would stop by for food and fellowship. Providing an occasional meal would have been enough. It would have met the requirements of the cultural expectations of hospitality. But she tells her husband, let's build him a permanent guest room with a bed, table, chair, and lamp, all the furnishings, so that he can rest more comfortably whenever he happens to pass through town. Even if she is wealthy, she goes far beyond any reasonable expectation of hospitality. While we may not be able to practice her level of hospitality, can we not all invite someone for a meal? Can we all not make a little room in our homes and in our lives for others? The scriptures repeatedly emphasize the importance of extending hospitality. For example, 1 Peter 4, show hospitality to another without grumbling. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we are told that among the qualifications for those considered for church leadership, hospitality is one of the key traits. And in Hebrews 13, we are told that in extending hospitality to strangers, we might even be welcoming angels unawares. Secondly, we see here that she possesses what I would consider great contentment. Great contentment. In response to her hospitality, Elisha wants to do something for her. And because of his earlier involvement in the Moabite war, I think Elisha here is flexing a little bit. He has influence with the king and with the army, and so he offers to put in a good word in for her. But she says, I dwell among my own people. I, I love that answer. I dwell among my own people. Next time someone asks me if I need a favor, I'm going to say that. I dwell among my own people. I dwell among the people of Graceway. I have no need for political favors. She is connected and contented within her community. She is satisfied with her life. She feels she lacks nothing. Her general hospitality is not offered to obligate Elisha to return a reciprocal favor. She exemplifies for me what the Apostle Paul will later, later write to the church at Philippi. I've learned in whatever situation to be content. Elisha, however, really, really wants to do something for her. And when his servant Gehazi makes the observation that she does not have a son and that her husband is old, he tells her, and I might add, without consulting God, it seems, at this season about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Today, we would be more sensitive and understand that some people may choose not to have children or are unable to have children. But in the ancient world, it was assumed and expected that a woman would marry and have children. A married woman without a child meant that she had no future and she would often be shamed by her community. For example, in the Gospel of Luke, you might remember when the elderly Elizabeth became unexpectedly pregnant very late in her life. She remarked, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. She had experienced that in ancient and in not so many uh, ancient cultures. Producing a son is the most important thing that a woman and a wife could do. 
I know that this was the worldview my mother uh, grew up in. She used to tell me how uh, my father's family didn't like her very much for, for a number of reasons. That's another sermon. Um, but when she produced a firstborn son, that would be me, it gave her great standing in her husband's family with her in-laws. And that is why she liked me so much. <laughs> really. So the fact that this woman has no child, no son, is assumed by Elisha and Gehazi and perhaps by many of us that something is missing in her life. But notice how she responds. She says, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Now, I think most people will read this as that she's longing for a child and is simply incredulous and that she's saying, stop kidding around. Don't give me any false hope. However, I think we have to take far more seriously that first word, no. She says no. It's a different context, but haven't we learned now that no means no? Her husband is old, but we are not told that she is old, nor that she is barren. It is possible, because she said earlier, I don't need any fevers. I dwell among my own people. That she possesses the kind of self-assurance and self-satisfaction that she is quite content without having children. As shocking and as countercultural as it may be, she may mean, no, no, I don't want a child at this point in my life. But if only to affirm Elisha's powers, we are told, but... The woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Now, if we could end the story here, we could end it with perhaps a happy ending. They lived happily ever after. But as biblical listeners, we hear in this the echoes of another story, don't we? The birth of a child in response to hospitality is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Like Abraham, her husband is old. Like Sarah, she too stands at the doorway and expresses incredulity. And so, like Isaac, we might anticipate that her son too will face death and miraculous rescue. And that's what happens. And so when her son dies in her lap, we learn, thirdly, that she exercises great Action taking faith. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Silver Chair Crying is all right in its own way while it lasts, but you have to stop sooner or later, and then you still have to decide what to do. This mother is experiencing unimaginable sorrow. Yet, like the widow in last week's passage, she too sets aside her own grief to take actions that she believes might still save her son. Instead of rending her clothes, instead of shedding tears, instead of wailing in anguish, she carries her son very deliberately, ascends the stairs, lays her son upon the bed of Elisha, closes the door, descends the stairs, and then tells her husband, I need a servant and a donkey for an urgent matter with Elisha, who is roughly 20 miles away in Mount Carmel. 
the husband is a little clueless, a little confused. He doesn't realize the situation that his son has died. And he only wonders why his wife needs to go to church when it's not Sunday. And so she reassures him, all is well. And then instructs the servant to step on it. As I said last week, when there is distress or crisis, seek help. Ask. When someone in your life or you yourself are in trouble, in faith, go in all haste to those who can help you. Do not be deterred. Do not be distracted. Get help. In her previous interactions with Elisha, she had been very formal, very deferential. She avoided even speaking directly to Elisha. Gehazi acted as a, as a go-in-between. But now, in this situation, she skips past all the normal pleasantries of greetings with Gehazi and breaking all social decorum. She grabs hold of Elisha and she reprimands him. Did I, not at, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She feels so deceived because it seems incredibly cruel to give a son that you never asked for only to take him away so prematurely. Elisha understands that she is in great distress and so he sends his servant urgently ahead instructing him also to go in all haste to not to stop to even to say hello and to lay his staff on the child to heal him. But the mother is not convinced that that will work. And she insists that Elisha come because she holds Elisha responsible. And she repeats the same words that Elisha himself had used with Elijah when Elijah told him to leave him alone. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so Elisha goes with her to her home. They learn that the staff did not work. And it is only when Elisha himself goes in and prays to God that her son is brought back to life. So after what must have been an agonizing day of having her son die in her arms, making a rough, roughly 40-mile round trip on donkey back, and waiting outside Elisha's room for news, she waits with a bated breath as Elisha comes back and tells her, pick up your son. Now in that situation, I think every one of us probably would have rushed inside first to see if the child was okay, and then maybe afterwards come back out and say thank you to Elisha. But notice what she does. She first falls at Elisha's feet, bowing to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. As anxious, as terrified as she must have been, she took time to offer thanks first. And I think this is just one more sign of her incredible faith. She believed the word of Elisha before she saw her son. I know there's a lot going on in this story. It's just such an incredible story. Um, but I just want to make one reflection with you this morning. I was especially struck this week uh, in reading verses 23 through 26, where a form of the phrase, all is well, appears five times. 
So, you know, in the scriptures, whenever something comes up again and again, it probably is alerting us, hey, pay attention to this. When the husband asks, why would you visit Elisha on a non-holy day? She says, all is well, as if to reassure him, don't worry about it. And then when Elisha spots her coming toward him, he sends Gehazi to ask her three questions. Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And then she answers once more, all is well. So five times we see this, all is well or is all well. And in the Hebrew, it's the same one word. And that word is shalom. Peace, well-being, health, wholeness. Now, I know there are those who read this, and they want to insist that the woman has such great faith that she is genuinely able to say, everything is fine, there is peace, even though her child has just died and her world has collapsed, that somehow she is able to have peace in that moment. It may be my own lack of faith, but I find that impossible to believe. The pain of losing a child is far beyond what most of us will ever be able to comprehend. To sit with someone who has lost a child or has had a miscarriage or has had to make the painful decision of terminating a pregnancy is to bear witness to some of the most excruciating pain and suffering you will ever see. I do believe that peace can come in faith later. But in this moment, in this day, there can be no shalom. All is certainly not well. The grieving mother tells both her husband and Gehazi all is well, not because all is well, but because she has no time to waste in explaining herself. She needs to get to Elisha as soon as possible. And once she reaches Elisha, now we hear the truth. She is finally able to let out the anguish in her heart. Did I not ask? Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? It's only when she reaches the one that she knows who can help her and her son that she speaks honestly and freely. And it's only when she speaks the truth of her situation that she is able to receive help. I imagine then, under exhausting sprint back to her home, she took the time to more carefully and to more fully explain to Elisha the three questions that he had posed for her through Gehazi. And so I want to ask you those questions today. Is all well with you? Is all well with your spouse, your significant other? Is all well with your child or your parents? Now, I know all three questions may not be relevant to you, to each of you, but is all well with you? Is all well with you? Or are you tired, angry, sad, burnt out, bored, in anguish? Maybe you haven't lost a child to death, but do you feel like you've lost a child in other ways? to busyness, to ungodly friends, to the influences of the internet and social media? Is all well with your spouse? Or is your spouse a little clueless 
disengaged, insensitive to what you are going through. Maybe your spouse isn't as clueless and as confused as this woman's husband. But are they so busy with work that they don't even realize that you're in pain or that others in, you, in your life and family are sick and lost? Is all well with your child? Or is your child not well? Is she struggling with post-pandemic life? Has he become listless, apathetic, addicted and bound by things that will not bring life? Is she spiritually dead? Does he need revival in his heart? Now I know depending on who asks you these questions, you are likely to say, yeah, I'm okay, all's good, all is well. I understand that there are many Gehazis in your life to whom you don't want to confide in and you just want to say everything's okay and move on. That's fine. That's fine. But my prayer is that there is an Elisha in your life to whom you can unburden your soul. That there is a man or a woman to whom you can go for help. And if you don't have someone, may I encourage you to extend hospitality. Make room for a woman or a man of God to come into your life. Who knows? You might end up entertaining angels. So I want to call upon all of you this day to keep on asking these questions. Is all well with you? Is all well with your spouse? Is all well with your child? I know that when you ask those questions, it'll be like asking your kids, how's school? You might not even get a fine. You might just get a nod or a shoulder shrug. But keep on asking. Keep on asking. Because perhaps, as you ask, it may lead them to seek someone else to whom they can truly share their lives. I know that none of us can truly say that all is well. None of us has a life that is complete, whole, and in harmony with all. And maybe you've resigned yourself at this point to the idea that life isn't going to get any better and that you've just accepted some of the pains, the struggles, the mediocrity, and the broken relationships as unfixable and hopeless. But the scriptures this morning tell me that whatever you are going through, it is not hopeless. It is not. If the God we worship is able to raise a child from the dead, then God can certainly deliver you from life-destroying distractions and disinterest, your spouse from debilitating disease and depression, your child from deadly defiance, deception, and addiction. God has the power for life and for life abundant. And not just in this life, but in the life to come. The good news, the good news is that even death is not hopeless. When someday we must all close the eyes of our beloved for the last time, when we ourselves must close our eyes for the last time, that is not the last time. That God is able to raise us from the dead, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Believe the good news. 
and be at peace. Pray with me. Lord, we, we want to be a people who look out for others and practice great hospitality. We want to be a people who have great satisfaction in you and to be content with what we have because we have you and you have promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are glad that we live among your people. We want to be a people who put our faith to practice, to seek help, to cry out to you for help, no matter how small or dire the situation may be, and to believe that you are able to deliver us. We want to be a people who seek the well-being of others, even as we seek well-being in our own lives. So God, we ask that you would lead us to your peace, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.